the person that you are most frustrated with in the whole world when you're at rock bottom is yourself. And so for somebody else to say, hey, you're not too difficult for me. Like, I cannot tell you how powerful that is. How's it going, guys? Welcome back to the Dad Tired Podcast. I'm your host, Jared Lopes. Join me every Monday as we dive into what it looks like to be men who fall in love with Jesus and help our families do the same. You can learn more about our books, resources, conferences, and even online community by going to dadtired.com. Let's dive into today's episode. Hey guys, today we're talking about a very difficult but necessary topic. It's the topic of depression, anxiety, mental health. I actually just read a book today that was talking about how middle-aged white men have the highest demographic of uh, suicides and, uh, and who are struggling with depression and as a result taking their own lives. We have even heard recent stories of pastors who have taken their own lives. It's actually something we'll be talking about in today's episode. Uh, it might be something that you are personally struggling with or maybe a spouse, close friend, or a child. Uh, you're walking them through that journey. And so I just think it's very relevant for where we're at in today's culture, and that's why I want to be talking about it today on this podcast. Um, I know even some of you, uh, you're going to get a lot out of today's episode. I pray that you're encouraged by the good news of the gospel again today. But some of you could just use prayer. Um, We actually have a community on the Pray.com app uh, where you can go and meet other dad-tired listeners and other dad-tired guys in our community who are reaching out and who would love to pray with you and share prayer requests with you. Um, so you can download the pray.com app and, um, and meet other guys who you can spend some time praying with and encouraging each other. The pray.com app doesn't just allow us to pray with each other. It's going to give you all kinds of resources to help you grow in your life in prayer and falling more in love with Jesus. You can hear the Bible come to life through stories like Adam and Eve, Noah and the Ark, the Ten Commandments. All of these can be part of your daily prayer routine. It's really such an incredible app to help you engage more in the Word of God while also developing a great prayer routine that keeps you close to Jesus and meeting other guys who can help you do that. Right now, Dad Tired listeners get 60% off a Pray.com premium subscription by downloading the Pray.com app at Pray.com forward slash Dad Tired. That's P-R-A-Y.com forward slash Dad Tired. Over 50 million prayers have been created on Pray.com. Find out why at Pray.com forward slash Dad Tired. Do you know the most epic stories of the Bible? New from the Pray.com app, Pray Biblical Sagas. Jesus, the maker of heaven and earth and the conquering Lion of Judah, stood before his pursuers. He spoke with the voice of God, saying, I am he. The most exciting way to learn the Bible in one year. All you need to do is download the Pray.com app in Android or Apple app stores. Download the Pray.com app and hear the Bible come to life today. Chris, I'm so grateful, man, that you're spending some time with us today. Uh, We are going to be covering a topic that is uh, an important one and one that's been talked about quite a bit over the last couple of years. But before we dive into all that, I'd love to just hear uh, for listeners who may not be familiar with you, who you are and what you're up to these days. Yeah, sure. Hey, Jared, so good to be here. Thank you for having me. Um, I'm on the other side of the world. I'm in Sydney, Australia. Uh, Wonders of technology. We can chat together. Uh, I'm a pastor in Sydney of a church of about 700 people, um, father of four, so I know what being a dad or a tired dad yeah. looks like. Uh, so 
I have an eight-year-old, I have a six-year-old, and then I have three-year-old twins, which is pretty crazy. <laughs> so we, we had two kids and uh, we went back for a third and the doctor said, do you want the good news or the bad news? And I was like, what does that mean? And then he yeah. held up two fingers. And so, yeah, I mean, we had four kids in four and a half years. So that's just wow. been a crazy ride. Um, but we're sleeping through now. So that's, that's everything. <laughs> <laughs> there was light at the end of the tunnel. <laughs> oh my word. Yeah. I mean, I didn't think it was there, but we got there. Um, so yeah, for any, for any dads who are in that stage, it, you do come out of it. Um, it may take a few years. Uh, I was told a few months, uh, and then we got to a few months and we were like, what's happening? So, yeah. uh, temper your expectations, but you will get there. Um, <laughs> I'm hoping for twins, man. I like, <laughs> everybody got... says that to me. <laughs> yeah. I, I literally for not for one second of my life thought, man, I want twins. <laughs> <laughs> and then everybody comes to me and says, oh, I've always wanted twins. I'm like, are you serious? You've actually thought about the implications of that. No, I have not on purpose. I just like secretly <laughs> and quietly hope, but without, I'll, I'll tell deep. you, I'll tell you when it gets bad is, I mean, the sleep is okay, but it, when you've got one kid in your arms who is crying and wanting a cuddle, and then you've got another kid on the floor who's also crying and you're like, I, I cannot pick you up right now. That's the dad so, tired scene right there. Oh my goodness. It's, and I mean, look, the other thing is you've got to buy new prams and strollers. You've got to buy new pillows. <laughs> You got to buy another bed. I mean, it's it's expensive. <laughs> it's, it's twice the cost. Absolutely. Oh yeah. Are they bo are um, boys or girls? Or uh, one, one of boy? each, actually. Oh, boy, boy, girl. See, that, yeah, I'm sure you hear it all the time. That's like dream scenario right there. Well, and I've learned in some twins. in some Asian cultures, it's it's good luck. I mean, in cultures yeah, that believe right. in reincarnation, I found out <laughs> that they believe that it's a, a married couple who were so in love with each other that they had to come back together. Which oh, that gets is weird. kind of a I mean, it's a sweet idea when you think about it, but then you also play it through and you go, let's say like 0.1% of the population of boy-girl twins. You're kind of saying that many people were happy in a prior life to be married to each other. <laughs> so it, it's Which not they might also agree with, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, that's, that's hilarious. Yeah. Uh, well, you, you recently wrote a book. Uh, tell us yeah. about the book. Yeah, sure. So it's called Down Not Out, subtitled, depression, anxiety, and the difference Jesus makes. Um, look, it's come out of a lot of my own story. I, I didn't want to write a book about um, the theory of something. I mean, obviously, theology and a biblical worldview are important, and there's plenty of that. But <clears throat> I also wanted to do it through the lens of my own experience. And to be honest, just be very raw and open with um, the lowest times in my life where, you know, I have hit rock bottom, I have been in a psychiatric clinic, you know, I've wrestled with depression for 10 years. And mm. I just thought, man, like I look at the statistics and I go, I'm not the only one here. And if I can be um, a leader in telling my story and, and hopefully blessing others in the church to see that their faith is powerfully important as we process these challenges, then man, I'll do it. Like it's, it's nerve wracking on the one hand, but also yeah, I mean, you get emails and texts and phone calls from people who, who tell you, man, your, your story just blessed me so much. I was like, well, that's worth it. Yeah. What, when you say nerve wracking, what is it that's nerve wracking about being vulnerable and raw with your story? I mean, I'm generally a pretty open person. It was, it was difficult for my wife. Like we had to go through this process of working out, do we actually want to do this? I mean, it's one thing to have a book offer on the table, but when you really sit down and think about it, it's like, do we want the whole world to know this? 
for me, I think thinking through my kids, you know, they're not at an age where they could decide this. So, you know, I write in the, in the dedication, man, I hope you guys are proud of me when you're old enough to realize this story. So thinking through for them, but also just, yeah, when you, when you speak at a church or at a conference and someone comes up to me and says, man, I read your book and instantly there's this feeling of, you know, so much more about me than I know about you. Yeah. yeah. And that's, that's a funny place to be. But again, it's, it's just been a huge blessing to see people be blessed by it. And I, I'm, I'm firmly convinced that, um, stories are powerful things and it's a testament to God's grace in our life. So if it points people towards his glory, then, you know, let's do it. Yeah. When people hear you're a pastor and you also say that you've struggled with depression, uh, that is going to perk up many ears because of mm. really a lot of the news stories that we've been hearing. Most recently, Jared Wilson, a very prominent yeah. pastor who took his life this last month. Um, you know, what? I guess if we just started real generally, what is it? How do you address this topic for um, at home with people within your church, and then also within your book? Like generally speaking, what are the th- what are the things that you're saying to people? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's such a tragedy about Jared Wilson. Like that. I mean, I you know I was following him. That really rattled me. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's. I mean, there's. I mean, there's not a lot you can say except, I don't know, <laughs> love and prayers go out to his family and his church community. I mean, mm-hmm. for me, for me personally. Um, you know, my, my stay in a psych clinic came at a really interesting time where I was like literally weeks from finishing seminary and had this job offer on the table at my home church. And, you know, do I take it? Am I qualified to do this? Um, you know, my home church was super supportive. They just said, you know, take it one day at a time. Let's put you on, you know, month by month and just see how you go in your recovery. Um, in terms of, uh, that journey, which has been now five and a half years, I mean, it's a mixed bag, right? Like it's, uh, on the, on the upside, I think going through what I've been through has made me a better pastor. It's made me more empathetic. Um, when people come to me and say, Hey, I'm going through stuff. I can, I can genuinely say to them, I know something of what that's like. And I can tell you that there's hope. And that's, that's equipped me in a way that nothing else could have. Um, you know, I've preached on the topic. I've shared my own story. I found, again, people have been really supportive. I think if there's anything where you see people, uh, treat you differently, it's not that they underestimate you. I think that they can, uh, pity you sometimes and Mm. assume that you're not doing well. I mean, and that's lovely. Like that's, that's a nice thing for people to feel. Um, but sometimes I just have to remind people, Hey, it's like, it doesn't define me. It's not, um, it doesn't overwhelm me every day of my life. Like there are plenty of good seasons as well as hard seasons. And thank you for asking me how I am, but also uh, remember that I am good a lot of the time too. Yeah. Um, I mean, again, church has been really supportive. Like I have built in breaks. Like I'm actually on one of those at the moment where um, I have a few extra weeks of leave every year where it just allows me to recharge and refresh. So that's been a real blessing as well. Do you have any thoughts for, I guess, I, I'm going to kind of process out loud here, this kind of ramble through this question, because I have a lot of things mm. going through my mind. But one of the thoughts is, I imagine that there are so many pastors uh, of churches that people who are listening to this podcast uh, attending, that they're struggling and they're struggling mm. quietly, which just breaks my heart to think about that, the, the amount of pastors who are really alone in this struggle. 
um, and people don't know. But I guess the thought is, or the question is, for people who are attending a church, what does it look like to support your pastor, whether they've come out right and say, this is something I struggle with, or maybe just in general, like how do, what are the right questions to ask? How do you support your pastor? Yeah, thank you. Um, I think it's, I mean, it sounds so simple, but really to work out how to love them well. Um, you know, we are in an era, like I've just been reading um, Francis Chan's book, uh, Letter yeah. to the Churches, yeah, and he just talks yeah. about how critical we are generally in society now and how that manifests with our pastors as well. And look, I'm sure there are pastors out there who, you know, no one is doing it with perfect motivation, but on the whole, you know, people don't go into pastoral ministry to um, do anything but, you know, love God and love love his church for the most right. part. And so right. to just assume the best of your pastor's intentions, um, to respect their boundaries. I mean, it's one of those jobs, obviously, where you're always on. And so if a pastor says, hey, I'm struggling, I just need a bit of a break right now, to just bless them with that, to let them recreate. Um, I mean, I'm sure it's been spoken about many times, but you see it in Jesus, how he needs to take breaks. You know, mm-hmm. our, our Messiah needs to do that. And so we as humans need to do that too. Um, and so just to let pastors have a rest, um, respect their boundaries. I mean, it's tricky as a pastor because you can't um, confide in everybody with everything because right. you need trusted counsel. You need an inner circle. Sometimes they may be eldership from the church. Sometimes it may be friends outside of the home church. And so I guess to, to respect the pastor's boundaries there as well and go, I'm going to trust that they have people in their life who they can speak to if, if they're not opening up on every level to me. Yeah, that's good, man. That's, I think that's can I, super. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, and can I just say if there are those pastors struggling, I mean, this was my big thing that it was the gospel itself that let me be open with this. It was, it was the realization that the gospel of Jesus Christ is a message that says, you are not self-sufficient. You don't have it all together, Mm. but there is one who you can come to when you are weary and burdened. And so it sounds so simple, but really we as pastors need to preach to ourselves what we're preaching to our congregations and to go, we're not superhuman. We're not on this other spiritual or, or human plane. We are, we are like everybody else and we need the love of Christ just as much as everybody else. And so it's okay to admit that you're vulnerable and that you're in need. And actually, ironically, I think when you admit that, you're actually a better pastor than if you were pretending to have it all together anyway. Man, such good truth, man. We could end the podcast right there with that gospel <laughs> truth. It's so, so good. Um, the conversation around this topic has definitely shifted in the last few years. Um, and just people talking more about mental health. Uh, and especially it's been brought to light as we hear about pastors who have unfortunately and tragically have taken their own life. Um, who have dealt with this, but I remember even as a kid, uh, as the time when the times come came up where there were people who had talked about depression, there was a lot of conversation within the church world of, well, they just need to have more faith. Uh, you know, they just they're not believing the right things, or you know, yeah. I guess really kind of can can this be prayed out? And I'd really love to hear your kind of thoughts on this topic. Like, where does faith? What role does faith have in the conversation of mental health? Yeah. Yeah, that's a huge question. And and I'm so pleased to say that the more I speak on this topic, the less I'm hearing, you, you just need to pray this out. You need to yeah. believe yeah. it out or however you want to put it. The reality is that 
the human body, the human mind, the soul, the spirit. I mean, we're a holistic person and mm -hmm. God has created us that way. The best way I can put it is in my experience and in counseling others, the best thing you can do as a Christian is to hit this from every possible angle, you know how. And, and as people of faith, we have that crucial dimension that people who don't have faith have uh, of the gospel. And so I don't think it's as simple as saying believe more, but our faith absolutely plays a, a part. And, and I, would have, I wouldn't have written the book if I didn't believe that. I think what faith does is enable us to go back to Christ himself. I think of Hebrews chapter 11, where it talks about this great cloud of witnesses. And it says faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. And it goes on to talk about Abel and Abraham and Moses and, and all these champions of the faith. And we've got this data of, of Jesus Christ himself, the full revelation of God that those ancients didn't have to tell us that, hey, he is for you. He is not against you. And that might not immediately get rid of your mental illness, but what it does enable you to do is to say, God, I don't know what you're doing here, but I trust you're doing something. And I have the data of the cross to say that. We see it with Joseph in the Old Testament. Again, he didn't have the data of Christ, but he's in prison multiple times. He's getting sold into slavery, all these things. And he can say at the end of the story, what you meant for harm, God meant for good. But there are so many moments in his life when he has no idea how that's playing out. Right. But, but faith is reminding us that it sounds so simple. I know, but Jesus died on the cross for you. What does that say about God's heart? And what does that mean as you wrestle with the vulnerability that you're going through? I think that's where faith comes in. Um, all the, all the other stuff, seeking medical help, medication, if that's what a psychiatrist or a doctor prescribes, psychological help, like, like all the sciences, we have learned so much about the body and the brain that God has given us. And so tap into that wisdom, but also don't forget the theological lens that you are deeply loved by God and he does have a plan for you. And it's not always comfortable. Believe me, I know that, but he will refine you in a way that you may never have been refined had you not gone through things like this. Yeah, man, that's beautiful. And and so I guess with that, what does what what is the role of the church and how does the church come alongside? So we we want to recognize the whole person if it if it means getting help from professional medical, you know, medical professionals, absolutely. But what role does the church have in coming alongside of people to really help them in their mental um, health? Yeah. I get asked this question all the time and it's, I love that the question is being asked because in my experience, there is a real hunger. Like people, people are acknowledging mental illness as a thing, but they just don't know what to do about it. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that's a great start. I mean, the acknowledgement is a great start. And I want to say to churches out there, you have a hugely important role to play, but just recognize that it's not the same as the medical community. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things that I learned is doctors and psychologists and psychiatrists their job is ultimately to treat you with their expertise and they need to do that. And so the church's role is not to treat as medical expertise do. But on the flip side of that, there is something that the medical community are not being asked to do. And that is to love you as a brother or sister. And that is where the church comes in. The church just needs to pour out love on people. I mean, at all times, not just when you're living with depression or anxiety, but 
Um, Christ calls us to love one another as we've first been loved by him. And so what love looks like is very adaptable, and that's where it becomes difficult. Um, like I say in my book, when you love someone who's just gotten engaged, that's very different to loving someone who's just lost a loved one. Like mm. love, love has to be adaptable. But to start with that lens of how do I love my brother or sister, that is the job that I've been given in God's church. And that, that can look like a few things I've found. Um, but over and above all of it, I think it's just being consistent, being in that person's life, whether they are struggling or whether they are not, whether they are in an up period, whether they're in a down period, for them to see that they are unconditionally loved by you because they are unconditionally loved by Christ. And you will walk with them, not treating them, but just walk with them and, and sit beside them, listen, give counsel when they invite you. Um, but just to be a stable presence when everything else within you and, and outside of you feels on rocky ground, to have somebody else say, hey, I will be here for you, whatever that looks like for you. I, I cannot tell you what a blessing that is because the person that you are most frustrated with in the whole world when you're at rock bottom is yourself. Hmm. And so for somebody else to say, hey, you're not too difficult for me. Like, I cannot tell you how powerful that is. Hmm. Jeez. In your own story, like, when did you realize that you were struggling with uh, mental illness and depression? Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm laughing because of all the places in the world. It actually happened in your country, Jared. It mm -hmm. happened in Florida at Disney World, of all places. Well, that, yeah. <laughs> no, I, yeah. There's a lot to be said every, about that. Yeah. <laughs> well, this is what I hear. I mean, it sounds like Americans are like super cynical about Disney World, but I was just like, oh, yeah, let's do this. <laughs> Any of us who um, have kids who have taken them to Disney World, we all know that like we, every single person there leaves a little bit different than when they came in a not so positive well, way. <laughs> Well, this is the thing I got in. I mean, I'm a big kid at heart. So I went with my wife before we had kids. And oh, I say yeah. the same, like seeing people with kids, I'm like, man, like if you want to know what depravity on earth looks like, just go to Disney World <laughs> with kids. It's so true, man. I was just there this year. We can go divert the conversation big time. But yes, okay. I'm with you. <laughs> <laughs> but in all seriousness, I mean that like, okay. I'd probably been wrestling with things for about three years, but didn't really have a label or a voice to it. But Disney World, you know, tagline, happiest place on earth. Oh, right. And I'm walking, I'm walking around and going, man, like these kids are crying. This food's expensive. This weather is oppressive. I'm like, if I can't even be happy here, then, you know, what's the point? And hmm. there was this deep sense of disillusionment in that moment. And actually my first ever suicidal thought came there that, you know, wow. uh, praise be to God that I've never made an attempt, but you know, these dark thoughts started to come in at that point because it's what psychologists call the reality gap where you, you fantasize about something in your mind. And I mean, there were a whole host of things leading up to that, you know, getting a university degree, getting married, having kids, you know, buying a house, all these life goals that you start to kick. And this one of, you know, traveling the world and and seeing it all and just getting there and going, this is not what I thought it would be. And mm. I don't know what it's like in the States, but here in Australia, I think there's this really ultimate goal that people have of happiness and comfort. I would say the mm -hmm. two great idols of our country. Mm -hmm. And I mean, unknowingly, they, that's what I was living for as well. And it's only when you 
go to the happiest or apparently happiest place on earth and you pursue comfort and you do all these things and you're like, man, this is such a broken situation. You're just like, yeah, what's the point? And so that was in 2010, almost 10 years ago. Um, we were due to travel for a whole year. I mean, here in Australia, we have this thing, a gap year where it's kind of a rite of passage where you go traveling for 12 months when you finish school. And we did it uh, after we got married a bit later. And we actually had to come home early because I was just spiraling. And mm. it was a psychologist who said to me, a Christian psychologist, he was like, have you thought that you're trying to make happiness the goal of your life? And I was like, yeah, I suppose that's right. <laughs> And he mm. said, have you ever thought as a Christian that the goal is actually maturity, not happiness? Mm. And, and that just rocked my foundations, to be honest, because the, the disillusionment that I'd found, it was the realization that I'd been p pursuing something, to be honest, other than God is the goal. And, and again, I don't think we do this consciously. It's not like we're going, yeah, I'm going to follow happiness instead of God. But right. functionally and, and subtly and culturally, all these things start to seep in. And it's not until you have this exposure moment where someone challenges your very assumptions that you're like man like i think you're right like i hate you for saying it but i think you're right yeah, yeah. and that and that was the beginning of the journey of when i knew that i was yeah living with depression which was yeah like i said 10 years ago at, at what point did you realize i mean i guess you kind of answered it already but it, was there a point where you realized like this isn't just a bad day i mean people go to disney world and they're like oh this actually sucks <laughs> and then you go home and it's over. Yeah. but but like i really a, hope no one from disney is listening to this and they're gonna like <laughs> sue us or something well i will just say we've got a, i know for sure one podcast listener who works at disney world he's a wonderful yeah. guy he's totally blessed our family and disney world was amazing so i'll just put that out there <laughs> so yeah dude whatever you your hear. name is i love i love you i got no beef <laughs> with you it's all good <laughs> it doesn't always have to be a terrible place but yeah. it's, it's stressful at the very least it can be stressful you know we can it's, all agree look, on let's that. look listen let's just say it's memorable right it's memorable we'll... <laughs> exactly you do <laughs> you all have memories, memories that last where, a lifetime yes, that's exactly right <laughs> yeah so when did you go from like okay this is a bad day to like man this is like deep rooted this isn't just like circumstantial uh, kind of mood changes, but this is like deep to my core and my identity. Was it when you actually yeah. sat down with the psychiatrist and he like kind of got to the, the, the core of it? Yeah, that is such a good question. I think it was actually the Disney World moment where that suicidal thought came in. I was like, man, that's, that's not right. Like right. there's a darkness within me that I didn't even know was that bad. Like, hmm. you know, we'd been married for two years. I would say that it was during engagement that I started to spiral I started to lose some close friends. Like we just had relational fallouts and, you know, Lara, my wife, she was starting to prompt me and go, you know, I don't think everything's right here. Hmm. Uh, to be honest, I thought that it was just becoming an adult. Like I thought I was in this fantasy land as a kid. And as I became an adult, I was like, well, this is just what life is. You know, it's just disappointing. <laughs> hmm. And then, but then again, when the suicidal thought came, I was like, okay, there's, there's something more than just general disillusionment here. I mean, I was shocked to find out that the the medical definition of depression is a sustained period of of lowness or what we would think of as a depressive state for more than two weeks at a time. Hmm. And I was like, wow, only two weeks. That's I've had a couple of years, right. you know. Right. Um, and I think for me, in my journey, you learn one of the biggest blessings is you learn these early warning signs, which is telling you that you're starting to spiral. And for me, the two biggest ones that I need to look out for are that, People just really annoy me, to be honest. 
and mm-hmm. I and I love people. Like I'm in ministry, I do it because I love people. Um, but when people just become intolerable to me, I know that I'm starting to spiral. And then the other one that I think is probably more uniform that I'd encourage people to think through and, and look out for is that you you might have this problem with a situation, like you say, you can have this circumstantial issue. But then if you start to globalize it, and what I mean by that is, man, like this experience is hard, therefore the world sucks. Yeah. <laughs> and to not be able to differentiate between the situation and just the world and your mm. life and I don't know, everything. I think that combined with the sustained prolonged period are the two things that you need to look out for. So for you, when you say that you start, you it's kind of indicators that you're starting to spiral. What, when that kind of dat that light pops up on the dashboard of your soul and you're like, Oh man, I'm going to a bad place here. What, what's the next step for you? What do you do? Yeah. Yeah. I think the recognition has to come first. I mean, you just got to be aware that, and you don't always like it. Um, for me, it's very quick to jump to, I need to do this or I need to do this. But, and, and, and my biggest one is just to take rest, like physical rest, mm. um, have a good night's sleep, have a nap in the afternoon and just feel human again. I mean, like I've got an Italian upbringing, so like siesta is like a big deal. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. but, uh, the biggest, well, one of the biggest things I learned actually in hospital was this concept of sitting with discomfort, which I don't know if our culture preaches this a lot, where we have a problem and we try and get rid of it, but sometimes we just need to sit with it. And the more we actually try to fight it and get rid of it, the more we struggle against it and it becomes a bigger problem. Whereas just to go, yeah, I'm having a bad day or I'm having a bad week and I'm not going to catastrophize about it. I'm not going to say, man, I'm back to square one or, you know, I'm back at rock bottom, but just to not attach a value to something, but to go, yeah, this week was a bad week. I don't love that it was a bad week, but it is what it is. And I'm just going to walk through each day as they come and assume that I will ride this season out. And that's one of the great blessings of, I guess, riding out a first season of mental illness waves is that you have a a point of reference to go, this actually is not all day, every day. There There are some seasons when it feels like that and it is that, but those seasons are just that. They are seasons and they do come to an end. And it's, it's, it's this up and down journey and it's about making space for the downs as much as the ups and just going, it is what it is. And ironically, when you do that, at least I've found those down periods actually don't last as long when you let go of, I don't know, trying to fight them. Yeah. One thing I've been actually trying to do, uh, and this is, I think for anyone, even who isn't clinically you know depressed, but as I've trying to grow in maturity as a man. I'm only in my early thirties and I just feel like I'm practicing manhood for the first time in the last like five years. And, uh, so one thing I've been trying to do is what you just described, like when I'm feeling those bad days for me, I would try to self-medicate. Um, whether that be like, I'm just going to turn on TV or like binge out on social media or watch a game or have a beer or like something to distract me. Uh, and my wife has been really good at this, uh, as many of our wives are kind of calling (laughs) our stuff out, but she just like, she would say to me, like even the last few years, like just sit in it, like just, okay, you've had a bad day or like this week sucks, but like, don't self-medicate it, like sit in it, it, uh, embrace it and then like move on. And I mean, I know that sounds so like simple and elementary, but I'm like, man, it's, I'm I'm learning a lot and I, I feel like I'm maturing a lot as I just kind of embrace that 
pain. Yeah. I mean, it does sound simple, but we don't do it, right? Like, I think, I don't know if it's a fair stereotype or not, but as guys, you know, that thing about we try to fix problems, like it's just our mm -hmm. instinct to go, here's a problem, here's how I'm going to fix it. And as you say, like, sometimes we're not going to fix it in the best ways, but that instinct just kick, kicks in. But to just, yeah, make space for it and go, and again, I think theologically to go, Lord, whatever you're doing in this season, teach me what you need to teach me. Yeah. Um, yep. I, I like we were in we were in this small group um, just a couple of weeks ago, and there's this young mum in our group. Oh, it was just such a profound moment. She's got this three month old who's just crying and crying and crying, and every night she's praying to God, you know, stop this baby from crying, and the the baby's just not. And she said she got to a point where she just prayed, God, clearly you don't want this baby to stop crying. So teach me whatever it is you want to teach me through mm. this experience. And I was just like, yeah. man, that's like. You know, the world doesn't teach you that stuff. But Seriously, if we the, could all learn that lesson, yeah. Yeah, I'm like, absolutely. And again, coming back to that psychologist's challenge of what if, what if the Christian life was actually about maturity rather than comfort? And again, like you follow, we, we talk about following Jesus. And yes, we have the glory of following him into his resurrection, but we're so following him into his crucifixion. And, yeah. you know, this is not our ultimate home. And so... Of course, there are blessings and we want to pursue them. And, you know, as someone who lives with depression, I need to remind myself that there is, there is a lot of goodness in this world too. Like I'm looking out at a beach at the moment. It's just beautiful. Um, but if we're putting all our hope in this life uh, and not asking God, what are, you, what are you trying to teach me? And how are you trying to sanctify me as I await that final day? Then I think we're actually missing out on the full experience of life. Things like joy satisfaction contentment that don't come through easy situations we need to get taught the hard way well there's something i think uh profound about when jesus says in matthew 5 5 blessed are those who mourn and blessed yeah. are those who are persecuted i think uh i think the things that we sometimes chase as blessings are not the blessing and i think the blessing sometimes can be found in the things that we try to avoid um, which you've really articulated so well. I I literally have probably 10 questions on my piece of paper in front <laughs> of me that I want to take the conversation. But um, <laughs> just I, I know you address more stuff in the book. So tell us uh, where we can get the book, where we can stay connected with you and everything that you've got going on. Yeah, sure. Um, you can get the book from any of the main retailers. So Amazon, <clears throat> um, a good book company is the publisher. You can get it from their website. They're in... Uh, the UK, the US, Australia, New Zealand. Um, you can find out more about me on my website. So chrischipolone.com. Terrible spelling for a name, C-I-P-O-L-L-O-N-E. Um, I'll yeah, link it in the show I, notes so people don't have to remember. Yeah, please, <laughs> please do. Like, you would not believe how many different spellings I've seen. It's, it's hilarious. Um, uh, and then, yeah, I mean, I'm around to, to speak at your church and your conferences. Like, I'm in Australia, but I've intentionally carved out space in my schedule, like I've just gone part-time at my home church because mm -hmm. I'm finding more and more of my time is getting taken up with this and they're super happy to bless me in that. So, you know, even though I'm a long way away, like, yeah, I mean, I'm happy to come out and fly out and speak to whoever wants to hear it because I think this is a message that is important and it's a message yeah. that God's put on my heart to share and I've, I've seen it bless people. So yeah. if I can be a blessing to others, you know, be in touch and, and we'll make something happen. Chris, I'm so thankful for you, man. I know uh, we had to do a lot of coordinating on time zones uh, to make this interview <laughs> happen, but I'm grateful we made it happen, man. You, you've been a blessing. Thank you. 
Yeah, thank you.